0: So we're starting our series, the We Believe series. Before I move any further though, I just want to thank you, sir, Kyle KJ, I mean, KJ Ferris, and where's Will? Is he in the bathroom? Will, I just. Will, I just wanted to thank you so much for playing the drums for us. <laughs> there he is. Can we just, can we give a thanks and a welcome to both of these guys? It's just so good to see you guys, and um, just amazing. I told them first service that I would pay for their gas to come back and play with us every Sunday. So it's a little far from Clarkston, but we'll make it work. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work. Well, we could always just use the private jet. So <laughs> the Lifespring jet. <laughs> so budgeting committee. <laughs> That's a, So, um, I just want to be honest with the We Believe series, 22 weeks, as Hope was saying. I really do believe that this is a series that God has called us to. Um, The Holy Spirit, He wants us to be aware, to know... To really remind us what does it mean to be a christian What, what does it mean I, truly, what does it mean to be a Christian is are you a christian because you 're nice to people? Are you a Christian because you wear a cross around your neck? Are you a Christian because you give money to charities? Are you a Christian because you shop at hobby lobby and listen to Amy Grant like what is the deal you know, why why and what and how and when what does it really mean to be a christian and a big part of What it means to be a Christian is what we believe. Like, what do we believe? And then I'd say it one step further is how do what we believe affect what we say and what we do? Right? So not just believing something, but having what we believe actually affect what we say and what we do. So this series is actually going to answer that question. What do we believe and how is what we believe going to affect what we say and what we do as followers of Christ? So we're going to answer questions kind of like what we just sang the song, the God, the father, who's God, the father, who's God, the son, who's God, the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did Jesus have to die? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? What's the deal with this Holy Spirit and this speaking in tongues? What's grace? What's salvation? What's forgiveness? What's evangelism? What are these ties and these offerings? How are we supposed to? interact with each other does the bible tell us anything how we're supposed to interact with each other does it tell us anything about how we're supposed to interact with our government what is water baptism what is communion what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life what does it mean to be born again sometimes we'll say those things but do you know what it means what does it mean that jesus is coming back again did you know that jesus is coming back again what does that mean these are good questions important questions these are the questions that get me excited Because understanding the answers to these questions, they help shape our lives as mature believers in Christ. This is really going to be one of those series you're not going to want to miss a Sunday. I I just know that by the end of it all, if you're willing to stick it out, if you're willing to persevere, even make a special commitment to be here, you have such a better understanding of what it truly means to be a Christ follower. And and by the way, this isn't just so you can impress your friends with a bunch of theology. Last time I checked, theology has yet to save anyone from hell. No, it's not so you can win the Bible quiz or win a trivial pursuit of the Bible, if there even is such a thing. No, it's to actually help richen and help deepen your understanding of the love of God and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that you can better communicate to this world with the hope that is within you as a believer. Don't you know that this world is searching for something more? They are. They are searching for something more. And I just want to know in my own life that if they're searching anywhere around me, that I'd be able to give them the real Jesus. Right? Not some Disneyland version or bumper sticker version of Jesus, but the real deal. Like the Savior, the Baptizer, and the Holy Spirit, the soon-and-coming King, and the Healer. See, church, I believe this is such an important series. And this is such an important time to be alive. This is an exciting time to be alive. I would not want to be alive any other time in all of creation because right now, today, God is speaking. Do you believe that? I am so thrilled to be a Christian. Some people tell me I got too much energy. I got some energy because God is alive and he's giving me energy to speak his name. I will never give this up. I will speak and be a fool for Christ until my dying day. Because he is alive. He is alive and within me. He's alive by his Holy Word. He's alive by his Holy Spirit. You guys all know this verse. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. But I want to read 16 and 17. Listen to this. This is alive. This is today. Not 2,000 years ago. This is today. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Training in righteousness. Now, often we memorize that one, and that's a great verse, but we stop there, right? We read verse 16. We don't really read 17. But it says, so, everybody say, so. so. And here's the action. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, say equipped. equipped, equipped for every good work. Did you know that we got some good works to do? Sometimes we're afraid to mention that God's got some good works for us to do, right? We want to make it really clear that it isn't good works that save us, that we're saved by grace. And that's absolutely true. But as a Christian, there are some things that God wants to do in you and God wants to do through you. Good works. That's okay, by the way, for that to be real today. Good works, but to do the good works, you got to be equipped and a part of the equipping process is learning what it means to be a Christian, where you actually listen to his instructions. You read the manual so that he can teach you so he can correct you. Some of us need some correcting so he can rebuke us. Some of us need some rebuking and to train us in righteousness. God wants to equip us by his holy word and by his holy spirit. John chapter 14 Uh, 14 15 16 great chapters on the holy spirit but jesus he's talking and he says anyone who loves me will obey my teaching very clear anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me verse 25 all this i have spoken while still with you but the advocate who's that Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Say all things. All things. And will remind you of some things. No, nope. <laughs> Everything. So he'll teach you a little bit and will remind you of some things. I mean, he's so clear. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I love that passage. Two things from that passage. Number one, if you love Jesus, you will obey his teaching. It's just interesting. We... we we don't like that. We we avoid those scriptures because we want to feel good. <laughs> but if you love Jesus, you will obey his teachings. It's very clear in the scriptures. Number two, as a follower of Jesus, you have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit within you who is teaching you all things and remind you of everything that Jesus has spoken. See, Jesus didn't leave you hanging when he left to go sit at the right hand of his father. Hallelujah. See, we've got the Holy Spirit teaching us, reminding us of the message of Jesus. Did you know that we are meant to know and understand the teachings of Jesus? Sometimes I don't think people understand that that we actually have the holy spirit who is here to help us understand the teachings of Jesus. And so if somebody has a question about Jesus or what it means to be a Christian, did you know that it is okay for you to have the answer? Sometimes we're so timid with that, right? We don't want to have the answer to anything. We're, we're just so politically correct and we're tiptoeing around it and we don't want to offend anyone. Did you know it's okay to have the answer? I just want to I just want to speak that over you. It's okay. To have the answer. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. Praise the Lord for Him. The Holy Spirit who empowers us. Who guides us. Who teaches us. And who equips us. Equips us to do the good work. Equips us to tell the world about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. Now the Holy Spirit, and this, is, uh, this is the truth as well. He might be teaching me all things and reminding me of everything that Jesus has said. Now do I understand it all? I mean, if you do... Awesome. Go, you know, write a book, but I don't, I don't know about you. The more I know, the more I know that I don't know. As I study the scriptures have, I I don't know if if there's any mature Christians in here. As you read the Bible, have you just noticed that there is a mystery to God, a mystery to this life? I did an infant funeral Friday morning. You're telling me about the mystery of God and mystery of. Of life, God talks about this in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we know this to be true. This is true. God, you are God. I am not. But through God's word, through Jesus, the Bible tells us Jesus is the word become flesh The Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we are given the opportunity, even the privilege of gaining knowledge, receiving a revelation of who God is. We're given this heavenly wisdom on what it means to be a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. It's this opportunity, amazing opportunity that God has given us by his word, by his spirit. The opportunity to stand as Christians, to stand as Daniel Allen Birch in a world full of darkness and chaos and say this, I believe. This is truth. This isn't relative truth. This isn't truth as I see it. This is truth. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. Jesus Christ, the only one who can take away my sins. The truth. Jesus Christ, the only source of salvation. Jesus Christ, the giver of eternal life. This I believe. This we believe. Look up believe in the dictionary Simply means to accept something as true. So I, I believe this I accept. I, I know to be true. I don't know if you've noticed in this world, everybody has something they believe in. Everybody believes in something. And we all have different beliefs, different things that we accept as being true. Frank Zappa, famous guitar player. He, I love this quote. He said, everybody believes in something. And everybody, by virtue of the fact that they believe in something, uses that something to support their own existence. And here he's speaking of someone who's, if you know anything about him, pretty much against organized religion. Uh, but he's right. I mean, whether you're a Muslim, a Hindu, Christian, atheist, you have these certain beliefs. And these beliefs shape how you engage with this world. Right? Those beliefs, they affect everything. They affect your decision making. They affect your goals. They affect your dreams. They affect how you treat people. They affect how you spend your time. Your beliefs affect it all. Somehow we're trying to separate the two and and my beliefs don't affect how I interact with you. Are you kidding me? Your beliefs affect everything. What you believe matters. Because what you believe affects from morning till night. That's why it's so important to ask the question, what is it that I believe? you start asking people to share what they believe, actually, here's some pretty interesting answers. Some people have some crazy beliefs. Here's just a few. If you happen to have any of these beliefs, here's the deal. I'm not making fun of you. I just think you're crazy. So just, just put that out there. Um, so according to Northwestern University, one in five Americans believe that the sun revolves around the earth. Some of you guys are trying to figure that out right now. Like, and for the 20% of you that are like, you mean it doesn't? <laughs> Uh, It's all good. (laughs) Um, According to the Consumer Federation of America, this one's good, and the Financial Planning Association, 20% of Americans believe that winning the lottery represents the most practical way to accumulate several hundred thousand dollars. And, okay, are you guys the 20%? You're like, yeah, it is. Pastor Dan, I've been, it's coming. Okay, tough crowd today. Um, That's all right. First service was awesome. Uh, 22% of people under 30. now, Now, this one's tough. This one's tough. This might hit home with some of you. 22% of people under 30 believe that Sasquatch, aka Bigfoot, is real. And, and, I, yeah, I know. I, I don't want, and here's the deal. So there's five people in our house, and one out of five in our house believe <laughs> that Bigfoot is real. If you want to know who it is, just talk to Trevin. So, um, <laughs> and then here, here's a belief I had as a kid. I, I really thought this, and, and, and maybe you can help me with this. I always thought that if you just dig a hole big enough, you'd eventually hit, yeah. Did anyone else like, you're like, hey, that's pretty big. Can we just stop? Hey, Freddie, seriously, like we're going to fall. <laughs> do you know how some of the craziest beliefs. Do you know? Christians. Yeah, Christians do. I mean, if you think about it. If you weren't a Christian and you actually looked at what Christians believe. It's crazy. Like, virgin birth. Have you ever thought about what that means? Like, I don't want to go into detail on that one, but, like, it means that Mary had Jesus without being intimate with a man. That's incredible. That's crazy. Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus lived without sin. I know people. I've hung out with thousands upon thousands of people. People do not... Walk around just not sinning. People are really good at sinning. It's like one of our main gifts in life, it feels like. But this guy, he walked his whole life, like every single day of his life, without sinning. We believe that. Have you seen people? That's crazy. We also believe that he died three days later. We believe that he actually rose again. Like he was dead. He was dead. He rose again. That's crazy. We believe. That we can speak in a heavenly language, speaking in tongues, that's crazy. We believe in the flood, that's crazy. We believe in the parting of the Red Sea and the rising of Lazarus and the feeding of the 5,000 with how many bread, how much bread? Like five bread, two fishes or whatever. That's crazy. Here's crazy. We believe that Jesus is coming back again someday. That is ridiculous. But here's the deal for me. I'd rather be crazy than wrong. Right? Like, let's be honest. I'm just a fool for Christ. The idea of impressing anybody or anybody anywhere has long gone. It's left the building. I am a fool for Christ, but I'd rather be a fool for Christ, crazy for Christ than be wrong. So I guess in a way we're all jumping on the crazy train of God's truth. So you ready? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to discover what we believe as Christians we have so much Christian ease. I, I, I feel it within me as well, Lord. Just these things that we say, these phrases that we spout out, yet we don't know what we're talking about. And so help us, Lord. Deepen our understanding. Just richen our vocabulary. Richen the love that we have for you, Jesus, that we would just get to know you a little bit better today, Lord. In your wonderful name, I pray. Amen. We believe that man was created in the image of God. Before whom he walked in holiness and purity, but that by voluntary disobedience and transgression, he fell from the Eden of purity and innocence to the depths of sin and iniquity, And that in consequence of this, all mankind are sinners sold unto Satan, sinners not by constraint, but by choice, shapen in inequity and utterly void by nature of that holiness required by the law of God, positively inclined to evil guilty and without excuse, justly deserving the condemnation of a just and holy God. Wow, aren't you encouraging hope? (laughs) As hope just read, we believe mankind was created in the image of God, walked in holiness, walked in purity with God. But in our own voluntary disobedience, we fell into sin. And because of that sin nature, we are void of all holiness that God and his law requires. We're inclined to do evil. We are guilty, deserving condemnation before a just and holy God. See, to understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross, you must first understand and come to grips with the disobedience and the fall of man. It's a part of the gig. You can't preach salvation that comes through Jesus without explaining what we needed saving from in the first place. See, we on our own, we are sick. Did you know that? We're sick. Our souls are sick. We're sick. With sin. We are in need. Jesus addresses this need in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. He states, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but who? It is not those who are well who need a physician, but who? The sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but who? Some of you, that's like a swear word to say sinners, but sinners to repentance. It's not a popular message in America these days. But all of us outside of Christ, we are sinners. We are gravely sick. We are in the emergency room of life on life support in desperate need of his saving touch. And if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope that at least you would leave here with a greater appreciation of what Jesus has done for you. God's grace demonstrated through his son's death on His cross. It truly is an amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a sinner like me. That song is powerful because god's grace is powerful it's powerful because it saved a wretch a sinner like me i once was lost but now i'm found i once was blind but now i see grace isn't grace without the depravity of my sin. The depths of my sin. May we never forget who Jesus really is. The beauty and the wonder of Jesus is that he and he alone made the unrighteous righteous and made the sinner who is worthy of death into a saint who will live forever, forever. Praise the Lord, right? Thank you, Jesus. So in regards to this belief in the fall of man, I want to walk us through some questions. Several questions here. First question is this. So what really happened in the Garden of Eden? What really happened? First of all, can you even begin to imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like? I can't. If I honest, I can't. Adam and Eve, unashamed, in a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, with creation, a total detachment from the experience of evil. See, for me, since I live on this side of Eden, it's really beyond anything I could imagine. Did Did you hear what I said? No experience of evil. You ever thought about that? No experience of evil. But in their disobedience, they exchanged the prospect of living eternally in paradise instead for years that would be filled with pain and would ultimately end in death. See, after living in Eden for an unspecified amount of time, they're tempted by a serpent, later identified as the devil. Through the serpent, Satan tempts them to doubt God's honesty and doubt God's love for them. Instead, out of their pride, they choose to listen to Satan rather than God. In their pride, they pursue wisdom in order to be like God. This is what the Bible says, chapter 3 of Genesis. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. See, we as humanity, we willingly and freely, we made the conscious choice to seek after the knowledge of good and evil, where we no longer had to depend upon God, but instead depend upon ourselves. And it drove us away from the Lord. And he drove us away from the tree of life. Uh, Verse 24, it says, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Mankind was disobedient. We rebelled against God and, and our rebellion, it just began to grow and to grow and to grow. And we became miserable in our rebellion. Don't you know that people are still miserable in the rebellion? Anyone know someone living this life outside of Christ who is miserable in their rebellion? It became like a disease, the original sin that began to just spread through the descendants of Adam and Eve and infected the entire human race. From that moment on, all humans would be born spiritually separated from God, living lives destined for death, just as God had warned Adam and Eve. So that's the first question. Second question, how has the fall affected our relationship with God? Because it has. See, the fall, it's so important for us to understand because there was a break. As a result of the fall, there was a break between our relationship with God, between God and humans. And you can see it all around us. It's this alienation. It's this hostility towards God. It's this rebellion where our natural condition is hostility toward God, where we even can see God as our enemy. Have you ever heard someone just talk to God as God as, as his enemy? I mean, just look. Open your eyes. It's on TV. It's in the movies. It's in our culture. We are against God. We are hostile toward God. We curse the name of God again and again and again and again and again. And this hostility, this, this alienation, it's all traced back from the fall. Remember Genesis 2. God said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Paul picks this up. Romans 5.12. Listen to what Paul says. He, he tells us, you and me, like all people, we physically die because of Adam's death. He says, there, or because of his sin. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people, including you, because all sinned. Do you get that? So death came because of Adam's sin. Did you know? I bet you didn't know, but now you're going to know. Did you know that physical death is not a natural part of life? Did you know that? Our physical death is a consequence of Adam's rebellion. And along with this physical death, there's even a greater consequence to inheriting Adam's nature. And it's that we are now subject to the wrath of God. Again, this is one of those phrases that some of you hate. It's in your Bible. I, many Christians today, they just take the white out and they just mark over any passage that talks about the judgment of God or the wrath of God. But it's in there. Paul references it in uh, Ephesians. If he, so many of us love Ephesians, but we just kind of skip this part. But he references this condition, the consequences of the fall right in the beginning of Ephesians he says, as for you, that includes you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Go ahead and say dead, just for an emphasis. <laughs> you were dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, so. Again, that's all of us because he said all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Do you see he's really trying to get you to understand that we're all in the same boat together like the rest, all of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the fall, it results in this physical death, but also a spiritual death. We're outside of Jesus, we are dead in our sins. And as ones who are dead in our sins, we are alienated and hostile toward God. Following? Alright, so next question. How has the fall affected how we relate with one another? Do you think the fall has re- affected how we relate one another? Not a chance. I am so nice to my wife, I am like Jesus to her. If she was here right now, she'd tell me that I was the fourth member of the Trinity. Are you kidding me? Not a chance, right? It's a fact. We all see that. I mean, right away, you look at the Genesis story. Adam, he blames God. Who else does he blame? Blames his wife. He blames Eve. Look at Eve. Eve blames the serpent for deceiving her. Blame shifting. It happens right away. Right after they eat the fruit, they start blame shifting. Within the chapter of this blame shifting, we see a serious violation of God's intentions for his creation. Remember, what does Cain do to Abel? He kills him. He kills him. The fall, it radically changes how we relate to one another. And the effects of the fall, they continue to spread Like a virus in how we treat one another. Again, just look at the world around you. Just go on any news site and see the effects of the fall. You can see it in um, the Ten Commandments. The last six commandments. They are all about how we relate with one another. Remember that? It's like honor your father and your mother, right? Honor your parents. What else does he talk about? He says, don't kill Avoid adultery, avoid stealing, false testimony, avoid coveting. Do you see that? It's all about, I mean, it, that should break our hearts, right? That it even has to be in there. It's in there because of the effects of the fall. We didn't, He had to put up boundaries and guidelines for how we we're going to interact with each other. Jump to the New Testament. Paul says the uh, same thing. Galatians 5. He's talking about the deeds of the flesh. These are behaviors That we're now prone to because of the fall. Behaviors and attitudes that you and I, in the natural, we just have this natural bent towards. These behaviors, by the way, that are really destructive to others. Have you noticed that in the flesh? How good you are at hurting other people? Anybody else have a talent with your words and with your actions to really hurt somebody in the flesh? This is something God never intended. And then how has the fall affected our inner nature? Since we're alienated from God by our sin, we now follow the ways of the world and ruler of the kingdom of the air. I just read that Ephesians 2:2. Paul Romans and Ephesians. He calls this fallen state as living according to the old self, according to the new self. This is not meant to be a trick question. This should be an easy question that we all know as Christians. Do we live by the old self or the new self? New self, you did much better than the first service on that one. <laughs> so the old self, this sin nature, can only be changed in one way, through spiritual rebirth. The sin nature, we must be born again. Have you heard born again? Right? For you, it, you have to be because in your nature, the Adam, the nature you inherited from Adam, you are what? Your starts with a D. Dead, so you have to be born again. A spiritual rebirth. This is important to understand. So many Christians don't understand this. You've got to understand this. Listen to Romans 8 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, that should be every one of us who is professing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Those who are living in accordance with the Spirit have our mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh. Listen to this list is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. It's, it's there. It's just there in front of us. We have to come to grips with this. And when Paul talks about living in the flesh, he just means people who are living their lives, they're thinking, they're living in purely human terms. That when you're thinking and you're living in just human terms, you have your mind set on, well, you have your mind set on that nature, right? The nature that is outside of Christ and what that nature desires. And what that nature desires compared to what your new nature desires, are they the same thing? They are. Thank you, Scott. I love you. Lifetime friends forever. No, they are not the same thing. The passage I just read tells us that those who live according to the flesh, I want to read it again, Just, just highlight some of them. Their minds are cut off from God. They're hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law and they cannot please God. So in the natural, in the flesh, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we will never experience, never experience, never experience the life, That God has called us and designed and created us to live. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, especially when you think about before you were a Christian or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. When you're living by this nature, and this is important to grasp, when you're living by this nature, you do not value God's perspective on life. You don't want to listen to Him and you don't want to obey Him. You don't want anything to do with Him. And if you don't listen to Him and if you don't obey Him... You are in rebellion to God. Rebellion to God. You don't see this just in mankind. The fall has affected creation. Affected all of creation. Paul tells us that creation has been subjected to frustration. The Greek word is matiotes. This frustration which conveys this idea of emptiness. This idea of futility. This idea just without purpose. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 17 through 19, the Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, this is God speaking, and you ate that fruit from the tree, which I command you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam's disobedience has brought a curse to the ground. All creation unable to fulfill its design purpose apart from the redemptive grace of God. Paul says creation was subjected to frustration. Are we a part of that creation? You bet. So that includes us. Try as we might, and we do try, but we will never be able to discover or live out the purpose for which we are created apart from God and his grace. And then finally, how has the fall affected God? How has the fall affected God? I remember the first time I studied this uh, idea of the fall of man. I was asked this question, and and it it just threw me back. It's like, how could the fall affect God? How how could it affect the unshakable, unmovable, unchangeable God? Well, it did. We see it in Genesis 6. We see that Adam's fall, it it results in this incredible and perverse, just this wickedness in, in all of mankind. And the Bible tells us that it grieved God. Remember, it grieved God to such an extent that he decided to wipe his people off the face of the earth. The flood. Exodus 32, the Lord expresses his desire to destroy the Israelites for their disobedience, their idolatry and their stiff necked approach to him. Listen to the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 15:7. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. You know, if heaven rejoices over the one who repents, it must be true that heaven is also sad for all of them that do not. Second Peter three, nine, one of my favorite verses in the Bible tells us the Lord is this is beautiful. Uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Hallelujah. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, I, I would just say this. If God has stayed his patient hand that no one would perish. And if God truly is the father who desires that all of his children come to him, wouldn't it reason that he would be so saddened when so many do not? The fall has affected God. And then finally, as we close this morning, I want to ask you this question How has the fall affected you? How has it affected you? In your flesh, outside of Christ, do you see your propensity to sin? Have you noticed how you often blame God for things? So good at blaming God for things. We instantly blame Him instead of trust Him. Instead of putting our faith in Him, we are hostile toward Him. I want you to evaluate your relationship with him this morning. And not to condemn you, but to help you. Are you living as a fallen man or a fallen woman? Or are you living as a redeemed saint, a new creation who has been brought back from death and from sin and now has eternal life through Jesus Christ? With the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, honestly, evaluate your physical and your spiritual condition, your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit. Where are you with all this? Because over the next two Sundays... We're going to discuss God's remedy for the fall of man. We've got some good news. God's got a remedy for your alienation from him. He's got a solution for your hostility toward him. I I read Ephesians 2 earlier, but I stopped at verse 3. I I want to read uh, verse 3 again, but this time I'm going to move on to verse 4 and verse 5. Pay attention. This is verse 3. All of us also lived among them. So again, including all of us. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings. Of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest. Again, you're in this boat with me. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That's the truth of God's word. But. Hallelujah. But because of his great love for us. God. Who is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 5.8, the Bible tells us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us. The next two Sundays, we're going to be taking some time to talk about this love of God that's demonstrated on the cross through the death of his son. But for some of us, I don't want to wait until next Sunday for you to get right with God. The perfect God of the universe, he could not be in a relationship with you, with fallen man. due to our rebellion, our sin had gotten in the way. But I don't know if you've noticed this about God, but God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And Jesus reconciled us back to God. And maybe for the first time in your life, you need to say yes to Jesus and his sacrifice for your sins so that you can now live a life, not as a sinner, but as a forgiven saint, one who is washed clean in the blood of his sacrifice. And for those others of you, and I want everyone to listen, others of you, you are a believer. You're a new creation, but you've been choosing to live according to your old self instead of your new self. You've been choosing the things of the flesh instead of the things of the spirit. I see this all around me. I want to tell you this this morning. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. As a Christian, you no longer have to live in that fallen state. Yes, you live in a fallen world, but he's made you new. He's made you righteous. Romans five nineteen tells us, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Who's that, by the way? That's Adam. <laughs> for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, many were made sinners. That's us. So also through the obedience of the one man, who's that? Jesus, the many will be made righteous. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. For just through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, all of us, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many, those who profess Him as Lord and Savior, will be made what? Righteous. righteous. So in light of those scriptures, I have a question for you. Again, I'm not trying to trick you. Are you a sinner or are you righteous? righteous. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? saint? I want to encourage you. Remember that. I just get so discouraged sometimes hanging out with people that are so quick to forget that. Something hard comes your way and you just lose it. You go off the deep end. Life is hard. Get over it. God's still on the throne. He's still alive. Be a Christian. You're a saint. You're forgiven. You're free. You're redeemed. You're righteous. You're declared holy. You're set apart. Be who you've been called to be. Be who you've been designed and destined to be from the, before the foundations of this world. Rise up. I want to encourage you. Remind yourself of who you are. The next time you're tempted to sin, the next time you're tempted to compromise or cut corners or to curse or to get jealous or be envious or prideful or to throw a fit. Remember, you are no longer underneath the curse of sin. The curse has been broken. The chains have been broken. You've been set free. Do you know how often I have to remind myself of that? Every day, every day I read the Bible, I pray to the Lord, I worship the Lord every day because I am human. We got all those snakes talking to us. Have you ever had a snake talk to you? You bet you have. It's in the form of your coworker and your classmates or your family or the Internet you got all sorts of snakes talking to you. That's going to happen, by the way. I'm tired of people feeling guilty all the time because they've been tempted. Everybody's tempted. Jesus was tempted. That's not what makes you, you know, don't put your head down because you've been tempted. It's what you do with the temptation. And Jesus Christ actually gives you a way out of the temptation. By the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you have the power to say no to temptation. Some of us, I, I believe that some of us, we, are so, we just sin because we're like, well, I'm tempted. I might as well just sin. Sinners is going to sin. I'm just tired of that attitude. Yes, you are tempted, but you have the power of God residing within you. One of my friends recently, she just told me, she's saying, you know, sometimes the devil tempts me. And I just tell the devil to get out of here. And she used the word a little stronger than that. And I love it. You know, I have to remind myself of this every day. The Holy Spirit is alive in you, Pastor Dan. The Holy Spirit is alive and well in you, Pastor Dan. And He is helping you, Pastor Dan. He is resourcing you, Pastor Dan. I had to do this this last week. I was at the district conference in Spokane. I got there the night before my wife got there. and Because I had a rehearsal with the band. And I was uh, part of the worship team there. And I went to bed. I go into the bedroom and there's a TV. The minute that I saw that TV, I thought, you know what? My wife. And my kids are not here. I can watch whatever I want. And I wasn't looking for a little house on the prairie. You know what I'm talking about. But you see, man, I love being a Christian. I love being damn burst. See, the wonderful thing about being a Christian, I I want this to be so practical, something you can get hold of this morning. As a Christian, I never, ever, 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 ever have to succumb to temptation. Ever. See, I once was a sinner. In Adam, you bet, a sinner, a wretch, uh, whatever you want to call it, deserving wrath, all those descriptors, just throw it on me. Dead is a really good one. I think dead kind of just summarizes it all, right? Because dead is dead. I'm just, in Adam, I'm dead. But now, I'm forgiven. And I'm free. And I'm righteous. I'm declared holy. Set apart by the blood of Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you know what? He gave me the power to push my thumb like this. (laughs) That was the power he gave me. Boop. And turned off the TV. Gave me the power to put First Thessalonians on my cool Bible app on my iPhone. And push play. Boop. And then I had a really good night's sleep. The fall of man is real. It is so real. The death and the destruction that follows it, it is real. You ever try to convince me otherwise, you will not convince me. It is as real as me standing here up on this stage. But the death of Jesus Christ and the chain breaking power of his sacrifice is real too. This is in the Bible. I'm not even going to make this up. This is in the Bible. This is, listen to what. Listen, this is in the Bible. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not even making that up. It's in the Bible. He gives us victory over sin and death. I just feel like sometimes you're trying so hard. And you think that's like an idea, like a pipe dream, like a fairy tale. That one day, one day, one day, you know, one day. There are, I you just got to get to know some of us. There are some people that are finding victory in Christ Jesus. There are alcoholics in here that are no longer alcoholics. There are people that were addicted to sex that are no longer addicted to sex. There are people who are just angry, abusive, that yelled at their family, who are now peaceful who are kind and considerate. The power of God is in this place. It's available. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You are no longer one worthy of death. You are now one worthy of life forever and ever and ever. Everlasting life with Christ Jesus. I, the last scripture I read at uh, baby um, Aaron's uh, Hoffman's funeral was uh, John 4.4 4 that talks about the, this everlasting life. That Jesus, when He gives you water, it's a water that will actually quench. A water that will give you everlasting life. As a Christian, you were dead. You The, the, the thirst that you had You tried, remember, can you remember what it was like to be a Christian? You tried everything to quench the thirst. You you ate everything. You you had sex. You did drugs. you, You bought the car. You did everything you could to quench the thirst. Nothing quenched it. It was like putting sand into your mouth. It got worse and worse and worse. And then one day Jesus came along and he gave you the everlasting flowing river of life and he quenched your thirst. That's what he's done for baby Aaron, who now has eternal life for the Lord, just beginning, just developing and experiencing all that God has for him. For us, it's the same way as Christians, as new creations, as this new self. We have life. And yet so many of us are still going back to the sandpit and trying to cram in all this junk. But I just want to encourage you. Just, Jesus, wash it away. Wash it away. Get it out of here. Just let the, the wellspring, the, 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 the wellspring, the, the, just the waters, the living waters just begin to flow and that you would taste and see that the Lord is good and just let it pour over you, just overflowing with the goodness of God. Because when you're having a hard time, I'm just tired of people having a hard time and, and in the hard times, all of a sudden, everything I thought, I, I, I was like, I thought I knew you. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were gentle and kind and patient and merciful. And then you have a hard time and you're a jerk. What is that about? That is not the faith or religion I want to be a part of. I'm just tired of it. Be a Christian. Be gentle. Here's a really good one. People went on vacation. Uh, First two days of their vacation were completely ruined. They missed the flight. Uh, More things happened to them. They're just giving me a list of things that happened to them. And then they just smiled and they said, but it was okay, Pastor Dan. We had a good time. We loved each other. I I just wanted to like bear hug him because that's what I want in my life as real Christians. You are Christians. Even when your vacation is ruined, you're still a Christian. And he said, you know, I could have fought. I could have went in there and yelled and and grumbled and, and, you know, got in my way and got what I deserved he goes but I know that that would have been right and, and that would have had a ripple effect in the people's lives in a negative way I was just like, hallelujah thank you Lord for putting someone in my life who is gentle and kind and merciful and doesn't judge but is kind and gracious and accepting and loves thank you Lord and I want that for all of us the Lord wants that for all of us I just, I asked the worship team, we're going to sing this song together, but I just a song to remind us that, yes, we were sinners. Yes, there was a time. You know, think about it. Outside of Christ, if you're getting, you know, spit upon, or if you're having a tough time, or you're sick, go ahead and throw a fit. Take your shoe and throw it against the wall. Just live it up, because what else are you going to do? Eat, drink, and be merry. But as a Christian, you have eternal life. There's eternal things that matter, legacies, generational. You think it's just about you and your wife. It's about you and your wife and your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Suck it up. Be a Christian. It matters. It's going to affect thousands of people in your life. People that you'll never even know. To be a Christian. You were a sinner, but you're now a saint. There's no temptation that has taken you, that is before you, that you cannot overcome. Every one of them. You can stand upon the Word of God and the foundations of His rock, Christ Jesus, and say no to that temptation and say yes to the life that you have in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, our attendance is going like this. Down, down, down. And yet yeah, I'm getting louder. Because <laughs> I'm so excited about Christ Jesus. I'm so excited to be alive today. This is a privilege and an honor to share the truth in a world that is just dying to hear something other than the truth. Dying to hear teddy bears and rainbows. The Lord has just told me again and again to preach the word. Charles Stanley today, I heard on the radio, he said, if you will not be bold enough to preach the truth, you do not belong to be a pastor. Get out of the ministry. And I, I, and that's where I'm at, and I'm excited to preach the truth. I want to have a challenging message that challenges me, where I actually find victory in Christ Jesus. When I die, I love it. When I die, you will get to say, job well done. It's just the way it is. And I want that for every single one of you. You, buddy! I want that for you. I love you so much. We've cried a thousand tears. And you've done some things, but you have such a long life ahead of you. A long life ahead of you to change this world for Jesus Christ. And when I'm at your funeral, I want to be able to celebrate when we get to heaven and say, job well done. We did it, buddy. We did it. So we're going to sing this song, and I, I just pray that if you never come back again, I just pray that you would be reminded that Christ is one. That when you jump back into the old self, when you start trying to put your sin back on you, when you start trying to put on the old clothes, you just be reminded by the power of God, by His Holy Spirit, that there's nothing and no one that says you have to put that back on. The next time when you want to unleash on your wife and say, but it's not fair and you did this, you did that, just be silent, be still. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, God, that you are here in this room even now. That you don't want to do anything right now but just to speak your love over us, God. That your love, the same God who we we say is the God of judgment and God of wrath, is the same God who created the plan to redeem us from that. (laughs) If that ain't love, I don't know what is. The same God who said, I am a just God, I am a holy God, I can't stand imperfection in, in, in my throne room, I can't stand imperfection in heaven because it would be like a virus that would spread throughout my entire kingdom. That same God is the God of love who said, but here is my son, my one only begotten son, who I love, and I am going to give to you to die an awful and painful death, to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you, so that you can be reconciled back to me and you can live in eternity forever and ever and ever and ever with me. Lord, I just pray that that will be spoken clearly today, Lord, that the fall of man is real, but the salvation found in Christ Jesus is real as well. Thank you, God. Break the chains.